morning again. Uh, my name is Jake Reefer. If you don't know me, I'm the youth director here at Spring Run, which is, may have something to do with why I was asked to preach today, because um, we are working through the Ten Commandments. And today we come to the Fifth Commandment, which is to honor your father and your mother. Um, and it's kind of a turning point in the series, because the first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our vertical relationship with God, and the other six have to do with our horizontal relationship with each other. And the Fifth Commandment is the first of those back six, and it has a lot to tell us about our relationships with one another and our relationships with those in authority over us, but it has a lot to say also about our ultimate authority, which is God, um, and it has a lot to say about authority in general. So um, let's read this commandment, and we will begin to unpack it. Deuteronomy 5, verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. This is the word of the Lord. So to talk about authority in 2023, it's uh, probably a bit of a, a hot water to step in. Um, we, just in our culture, in our area, in our time, in the United States, are highly suspicious of authority, are we not? Um, to the point that I think probably people my age, people a little older than me and younger than me, um, particularly just assume that people in authority are probably up to no good. Like people who head institutions, especially old institutions, like they're probably up to something fishy. We just assume that, um, and it's all going to come to light sooner or later. Um, and there's some understandable reasons why we're suspicious of authority. Um, Number one being, we all live in the United States, which came into existence when we declared our independence from our English authorities. So in a way, it's just in our DNA, like we don't like authority here. Um, but we also just historically live in a time where in the last hundred years, the civil rights movement came to question, rightfully, um, a lot of the, our long-held beliefs about who should have authority and why. And we live in a post-Me Too era where we've seen, we have countless examples of people in authority misusing authority and crushing the people underneath them and systematically abusing their, their power. That's just the time that we live in, and that's understandable, but there's also some illegitimate and even sinful reasons that we question authority that we've also got to acknowledge before we can move on in this text. For a variety of cultural, historical reasons, we, we live in a moment where we think authority is only legitimate if I consent to it. Authority is only legit if I say I'm okay with being under your authority. Otherwise, if I say I don't want to be under your authority, you don't have any authority over me. And to be honest, that's not really what the Bible presents us with. And we'll dig into that. But even more importantly, the most fundamental reason that we have a problem with authority is that we live in the era after Genesis 3 in which Adam and Eve make the fundamental decision that I don't want God to be my authority. I want to be my authority. That's what sin is. It's a rejection of God. It's saying, I don't think this authority has my best interests at heart, but I know I do, and so I'll submit to myself. And that's what sin is, and that's what we live in, and that's why all of this comes together, whether it's legit or not, to give us this natural belief that authority wants evil for us. Authority does not have our best interests in mind. We have our best interests in mind, but authority does not. And that's just our natural inclination. But the Bible assumes that authority is designed by God to be a means of grace in our life. It assumes that, that authority exists to be a means of grace in our life. And so we're going to pull this commandment apart. Um, 
and look at the meaning of authority, the source of authority, the necessity of authority, and the life of authority. Now, that's four points, which is one more than most sermons have, so you're going to have to hang with me here. Um, But let's start with the meaning of authority. This one will be a little bit quicker. When we come to the fifth commandment, two good questions that we should ask right off the bat, which is, one, what does it mean to honor your father and your mother? And second, who is my mother and my father? First, um, what does it mean to honor? You'll hear this command summarized a lot as, um, obey your father and mother, right? The fifth commandment says obey your father and mother. Well, it doesn't say obey your father and mother. There's words that, in Hebrew that could say obey if that's what it meant. But it says honor your father and mother. And the Hebrew word there is kabed, um, which literally means to be heavy. And in this form, it means to, to lend weight to something or to acknowledge something as weighty. And so this idea of honoring has to do with weight, giving weight to something. And we can understand what that means if we think about expressions that we have, like if someone ever says, oh, that person's really throwing their weight around. Or if an, in a non-wrestling term, uh, say, someone, that guy's a real heavyweight. It, it, we know that that means, like, this person not only has power, but people recognize that that person has power, and they're able to throw it around. They have authority um, in their situation. And so the idea here is not just obedience, Although, for certain people, obedience is honoring. But the idea is esteeming or valuing something, giving weight to something. And so, as a kid, you do esteem or value your parents by obeying them. But it also means not taking opportunities to talk badly about them. Doing what you know they want you to do, even though they didn't specifically tell you to do it. It might even mean defending their reputation, depending on the situation. And so it's an esteeming, it's a giving value to, it's bigger than just obedience. But second, who are my parents? That might sound like an odd question, like, Jake, let me tell you how families work. Um, Yes, it does have in mind your your adopted or your biological parents. Um, But the, the reality is the Bible uses the term father and mother kind of loosely. At different parts in the Old and New Testament, a father, uh, uh, Tribal heads, the king, biological and adopted parents, city elders, church elders, all um, have the word father or some father-adjacent term used to describe them. And similarly, in the book of Judges, in Judges 5, um, Deborah, who's a female judge over Israel, is reciting this song. She calls herself a mother in Israel. And she's not talking about her kids, she's talking about by means of my position in the, in the nation, I am a mother to Israel. And so the Bible uses these terms both to talk about your parents, your biological or adopted parents, but also um, everybody in a legitimate place of authority in your life. And so this means that you could, go to, you could honor your parents at home, but then go to school and dishonor your teacher, or if you're an adult, go to work and dishonor your boss, And you're violating what this command is trying to tell you. That we are to value and esteem and give honor and importance to people in legitimate places of authority in our life. Probably making some of you start to squirm. Um, So that is what it means. Uh, That's what authority means. But now let's talk about the source of authority. And to do that, I actually want to go to another place in the New Testament and look at a story of how this plays out in Jesus' life. But the only story that we have of Jesus as a kid, which is in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 51. I think we have that on the screen. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Okay, this is middle school Jesus, middle school boy Jesus. 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his parent, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. There's a lot we can say about this passage, but it tells us at least two things about authority. First, it tells us what the Bible tells us in all kinds of places, which is that there is no authority that comes before God's authority. Jesus is telling his, when his, his parents, say, where have you been? He says, don't you know I must have been in my father's house? I had to be there. He's saying, God has a calling on my life that is more important than the calling you have on my life. There is no authority that is higher in my life than God's. And so that's one thing that it shows us here. There's no authority higher than God's. But the second thing, it might be a little harder for us to swallow here, is that being in a position of authority does not necessarily have anything to do with someone's moral superiority. Because you see in verse 51, very clearly, it says, Jesus went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now let's wrap our heads around what that's saying. The perfect, sinless Son of God himself, who is himself God, became submissive to sinful, imperfect, finite parents. And he submitted to them. So kids, you need to realize that your parents are not in their position of authority over you simply because they are less sinful than you. That may or may not be true, but if it, was true, if it wasn't true, every time that your parents sinned, you'd be able to say, ah, I don't have to listen to you, you sinned. But nowhere in the Bible do we get that, that sense. The Bible assumes that everybody is a sinner, and yet it still says you must submit to them. And parents, we need to realize that we are not in positions of authority over our kids because we're morally superior to them because we've got it all figured out and we have all the answers. We may or may not be, that may or may not be true, but you're in that position because God puts you there. And I think it's crucial that we understand that because otherwise we're going to have these dynamics where parents are so demanding of their kids and why can't you just do it all the way that I do it? And kids are always going to be dismissive of their parents because they see all your junk. They see everything that you do that even you don't see that is sinful. And we're going to have this unhealthy dynamic in our parent-child relationships. I... Um, when I, before we moved here, I worked at a property management company in Charlottesville, and I had a boss who was the property manager. I didn't care for her much. She had five different people on her staff. She'd been at the company for over 20 years. She'd been in that job for most of the 20 years, and um, she made lots of decisions that just confounded her staff, but she was always reminding us of how, how long she'd been there, all the crazy things that she'd seen, all the all the difficult decisions she's made and how she's had to figure out how to do things. Meanwhile, her staff was always talking, including me, unfortunately, about how crazy these decisions were and how this didn't seem to make any sense. 
So he had this dynamic where she's saying, look, how, why don't you ever do what I tell you to do or, or what I assume you should do because I've been in this position so long and I know how it should all work. Meanwhile, our staff is thinking, why would you do any of this? This doesn't make any sense. It's making things worse. And we had this dynamic. Why? Because I, both of us assumed that the person in authority should be the person who has all the answers, who does everything right, who is perfect. And because we had that assumption, there was a dismissiveness of her authority from her staff and a frustration with her staff from her. And that's the same kind of dynamic that can be at play with kids and parents, can it not? When we assume that I'm in my position of authority because I'm, I'm better, I'm holier. God put me here because I know what I'm doing. No, he didn't. He just put you there. And kids, you need to realize that about your parents, and parents, you need to realize that about your kids. And um, we give value and importance to the authority not because the person is perfect, but because God has decided to put that person in that position. So that's the meaning and the source of authority, but we also at this point need to ask why. Why is this necessary? Why would God set this up? Why would God put imperfect authorities in our lives and ask you to honor them? Kids, I bet you wonder this all the time. Like, why would... Why do I have parents who, are, who don't get me? And the answer actually comes in the next chapter of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 7, should be on the screen. And these words that I command you today, this is God talking, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now look at the movement here. If we go back to the verse 6. This is God saying, I command you, these words that I command you, parents, in the next slide, you shall teach them. I'm going to command you, you're going to teach them. I'm not going to teach these directly to your kids, but I'm asking you to pass on the commands that I give to your children. And what's happening here is God is saying, parents, you are there to mediate my commands and my teaching and my authority to your kids. You're there to mediate it. And um, the reality is that if, if you read your Bible, this is how the Bible works all throughout Scripture. All the way back to Adam. Adam is our representative, and because of what he individually did in the relationship that he had with God, all the people who are under him, all the people who descend from him, us, receive the consequences of what he did. And you can, talk, you can see this all through Scripture with Abraham, with Moses, with David, these people that God has this specific relationship with, but that because of his promises to them, all the people underneath them, all the people that descend from them, or all the people in their country, in their nation, are blessed because of what God has done through them. That they are mediating God's blessings to the people. They're this middleman who God is working through to pass down the blessings. It's how God has always worked. And the same things that play in the fifth commandment. If you'll notice, the fifth commandment is the only commandment that has a promise attached to it. If we can go back to it, to Deuteronomy 5... It says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord, your, your God, is giving you. In other words, it's saying, honor your father and mother so that you will receive the blessing that God is giving you. God is giving you a gift, and if you want the gift, you must honor your father and mother. He's saying, there is a blessing that I want to pass to you, and it comes through your father and your mother, and through your honoring of them. And so, parents, this means that we are not meant to be God to our kids. We are meant to pass down God's blessings into our kids' life. We are meant to mediate God into our kids' life, not to be God, but to mediate. 
And so kids, this means that when your parents tell you not to run out on the road when the cars are coming, or not to put your hand on a hot stove, or not to go out on a date with that boy because he seems sketchy, or not to, you know, not to play video games because you have a test tomorrow that you haven't studied for, they're not doing that to just be this high-handed authority figure in your life. They're trying to protect you. They're trying to pass down God's protection into your life. And by the way, kids, if your parents tell you you need to study for a test that you haven't studied for, that is not them just being demanding, necessarily. I guess it could be, but um, it's not necessarily demanding. They're trying to protect you. If you never learn how to manage your time and work hard, you will ruin your life. Your life will be ruined if you do not learn how to do that. Your, Your parents are trying to protect you from that. And they're trying to protect you because God wants to protect you. They're mediating God's protection of you. When your parents send you to Sunday school, when they send you to youth group, when they send you to 345, they're not just trying to be these moral police, these hypocritical moral police. They're trying to pass down God's word into your life. They're sending you there because God's word needs to get in your, your life, and they're the one who is in charge of making that happen. When your parents give you gifts and presents, they're not just giving you presents because, well, we've got to do this for our kids, or I really want them to like me. They're trying to pass down God's gifts into your life. They're trying to pass down God's blessings into your life. Then you might be frustrated. And you might think, why doesn't God just work directly with me? Why, doesn't, why, do, why do we have to have this whole runaround? Like, don't we all want to sell a house without a realtor if we could? Like, he's saying, why, why, do, why, do, I, why do I have to have this third party? But the reality is that you would not want it that way. Because if there is no authority, there is no gospel. Because the reality is that parents don't just pass down God's blessings into your life. They receive consequences and responsibility for you. Your parents work so that you don't have to work, kids. They get food so you don't have to get food. When you crash the car, they pay the, they pay the price. When you get in trouble, they come and bail you out. And the good news of the gospel is not just simply that God has decided to give you good gifts. It's that he is designated in authority who not only gives you his gifts and his life, but takes on your consequences and your responsibility. In the same moment, Jesus takes our sin, takes our responsibility, receives it on himself, owns it, and gives you the good gifts of eternal life that he deserves. And that's not possible without a mediator. That's not possible without an authority. If God didn't mediate through an authority, there would be no gospel. You'd be dead in your sins. But because you have a representative, you can receive God's blessings and escape the condemnation that you deserve. That is the gospel, and it is not possible without a mediator. It's not possible without authority. A few weeks ago, um, Emerson uh, went with Mariah to the library and got some books, and we brought him home, and sometime in the next few days, when we weren't watching, she ripped up the pages of one of the books. So Mariah took her back to um, the library, brought her up to the librarian, and they showed him the book, and she made Emerson apologize to the librarian. She's like, I'm sorry. And, um, and, the, and, and then Mariah turned to the librarian and said, okay, how do I pay you for the book? And the librarian is great and said, don't worry about it. But I thought, that's the image of authority. That's the image of the gospel. It's coming before the authority, the ultimate authority, the librarian here, but God ultimately, and saying, I'm sorry. Emerson doesn't have a way to pay for that book. She doesn't even know what money is. 
but she had someone with her, an authority to stand next to her to say, what do I owe you? I will pay the cost. Ready to do that. What you were not capable of doing yourself, Jesus stands ready to do for you because he's your mediator, because he's your authority. So if there's no authority, there is no gospel. Do we know that? Do we see that? Finally, I think um, be a missed opportunity to be talking about the Ten Commandments and not talk about, okay, but what does this practically mean for my life? How does this apply? Even if we understand the kind of the meaning and necessity of the command, how does it apply to us today? Um, this would be a somewhat easy commandment if you were not reading carefully the Bible to dismiss. Because if you read about Jesus, there's lots of places like in Matthew 8 where he tells, it, he tells some disciples who want to follow him, they're like, can I go bury my dad real quick? He's like, no, leave him. Let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. Like, wow, Jesus is, doesn't really care about family, right? Um, and similarly, if you keep reading in the New Testament, um, the church, the relationships that we have with each other is often called brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And it's a way of saying the church is a new family. So it'd be easy to say, like, Jesus dismisses the old family and says the church is the new family. I don't need to worry about my parents. I just need to worry about the church or something like that, which you still don't escape authority because there's still authorities in the church. But um, it'd be easy to say that, but that's not, the New Testament does not dismiss authority, does, does not dismiss families. In fact, Jesus in Mark 7 criticizes some Israelites who have made this way of giving their money to the church so they didn't have to give it to their parents. And he says, you've got this really great way of picking and choosing which commandments you want to follow. And he criticizes them for that and says that they're not following this commandment. And it also does not follow, just because, just because Jesus is saying your allegiance to me matters more than your allegiance to anything, does not mean that he's dismissing authority. In fact, in, in Paul in Romans says very clearly, the authorities of the government were still beholden to them. You should still follow them unless they're asking you to sin. Um... So I believe that this command still applies to us today. I believe all the Ten Commandments still apply to us today. Um, and I want to briefly consider three groups of people who are definitely represented in this room and how this commandment would apply to us today because I don't, know that it, I don't think it applies to everyone the same way. So the first group is kids. If there's any kids in the room, which there are. Um, if you're, let's say, under 18 and you're living at home still, your primary obligation in uh, honoring your father and mother is to obey them to live the way they've asked you to live. It's not up to you yet to determine what things that your parents ask you to do that you will and will not do. Your, your primary way of honoring is obedience. But remember, it's honoring them, not just obedience. So it's obedience without whining, obedience without grumbling, obedience without complaining, obedience without talking back. Those are dishonoring. To, to be obedient just to the letter, but to be a whiner, that is to completely, that you're, you're wasting everybody's time at that point. Um, you, you, the call is to honor them, not simply just to obey. And you also can't take opportunities to trash your parents to other adults or to your friends. Don't lie about your parents. Someone asks you a question, be honest. But don't take opportunities to take shots at them when they're not around. All of this with one giant asterisk, kids. God never asks us to sin in order to obey his law. And so your parents are never allowed to ask you to sin. If your parents ask you to steal something, if your parents ask you to hurt someone, if your parents ask you to do something sexual, none of that are they allowed to ask of you. 
and you do not have to obey that. And that is the only situation in which we remember that God is our authority, ultimately not our parents. Um, so you do not have to sin in order to follow God's law. But the second group, adults. Um, Genesis one twenty four makes it very clear, I think, that when people get married, they, uh, they leave their parents. It says, that's why a man leave, will, will cling to his wife and leave his parents. Um, and we, now, we, we also live in an era where um, uh, not everybody gets married. It's not as culturally expected that everybody's going to get married. And the New Testament affirms that. Paul says, I wish everyone could be like me. It, it doesn't just affirm the, the, um, that it's valid to be single as an adult. He, he says it's valuable to be single as an adult. It's a good thing for the church to have single adults in our congregation. Um, and so I think the New Testament would say it's, it's valid to be an adult and be independent of your parents, whether you're married or not, and you're still leaving your parents in some way. Um, so whether or not you're married or single, there's a moment when you've grown up and you've decided to depart home. And once that happens, I don't think that honoring your parents requires unquestioned obedience like it did when you were a kid. But then how do you honor your parents? I think the fact that they have been your authority for so long, the fact that they have operated and, and given you, um, have mediated God's blessings for you for so long, does mean that there is some amount of honoring that you should do. But how do we honor our parents as an adult? I don't have all the answers. There's many people in this room who have much better wisdom on this than I do, but a couple thoughts. One is, seek out and take seriously your parents' advice. It's advice, not a command. But seek it out and take it seriously. I think all parents want to know that their kids at least want to consider what they have to say. Seek out their advice and take it seriously. Help them achieve their goals as much as reasonable. Be patient with your parents. Love your parents. And obviously care for them as they get old. But do so not as their parent. It's easy, like as parents start to age and decline, to just try to parent them, but to try to become their advocate. I'm not trying to parent you, but I am trying to facilitate what I know you would want to happen in the end of your life. That is what I'm trying to facilitate. Do I think that you would want me to spend all my college savings for my kids on this care for you, or would you want them to go to college? Let me think about that and not just simply dump all my money into some, some kind of care. So care for them not as a parent, but as an advocate. Third group, though, is those who have had difficult and abusive parents. Because some of you have been sitting here listening, and you're like, this, I don't see how this applies to me. Like, I have not had anybody passing down God's blessings into my life as my parents. Some of you don't talk to your parents anymore, and, and you shouldn't, because there's, there's that level of difficulty there. And maybe there's not been any repentance, there's not been any forgiveness. Um, what's your obligation to a parent in that situation? This takes wisdom and pastoral advice that I can't give to everybody, but I think it means at least this that as a Christian, you are called to forgive your parents. That doesn't mean you reconcile with them and you, you get back in contact maybe, but it doesn't mean that you forgive them, that you, you don't hold over their head the weight of what they've done, that you don't hold over their head the debt that they owe you. That you say, well, I believe that my mediator is God and that he took on my responsibility, and so I, I'm, not, I'm not the judge of myself anymore. God is the judge. I'm going to submit the debt to him, and I believe that he's a God of justice and that he'll take care of it. That's forgiveness. And I think we have to be able to forgive our parents.
All of this gets more complicated as age and needs and difficulty and hurt increase. Um, but assuming there's not abuse involved in your relationship with your parents, I think we need to shift our perspective on parents and their authority from assuming that they want to take from us and they want bad things for us. That's just our natural inclination. We need to be able to shift from that to this is something that God has designed to be a blessing in my life. Do I believe that? Because God has designed authority to be a means of grace in our lives. It's meant to be the way that he puts blessings in your life. And ultimately, it's the means by which he brings the greatest blessing of all into your life, eternal, secure life with the Father. And the question is really, do I believe that God is going to use authority to bless me? Do I believe he can, that he wants to, that he does use blessing, use authority to bless me? Or do I think that authority is just a burden that I've got to bear until Jesus returns? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he tells the story of two boys whose father tells them, I'm going to give you a really great gift that you've been wanting for a long time. And the first son sits down, and initially he's excited, but then he thinks about how expensive the gift is. He thinks about how much his father makes and how long it's going to take for him to save to, to make it happen. And then he starts thinking about how he's been a disobedient son. He's not always been the best son to his father. He's been dishonoring. And at the end, he kind of thinks, I hope that my dad gives me this gift, but I really can't be sure. The second son, though, hears that he's getting a gift. He gets excited. He runs out. He tells everybody. Like, you'll, I, you'll never guess what I'm about to get. My dad said it, this was going to happen. The first son tells the second son, it's a little presumptuous of you, isn't it, to think that, your fa- that dad's going to give this to you? Like, it's expensive, and you have not always been a good kid. But the second son says, but he said he would. And until you can show me that my father's a liar, I'm going to continue to believe the promise that he made. And Spurgeon ends, he says this, he says that, honestly, it's the second son who's the least presumptuous. He says, no matter how excellent your reasoning may seem to be, it is always pride to doubt God. And to believe God, though it may look like presumption, is always a badge of the truest and most reverent humility. It's always, no matter how good your reasoning, it's always pride to doubt God. And no matter how presumptuous you may think it is, it's always a badge of reverent humility to believe him. Do we believe that authority is meant to be good in our life? Do we believe that God designed it to be a means of grace in our lives? Or do we only have our eyes fixed on the brokenness, the ways in which sin has corrupted authority? The only way that we can shift our gaze from the brokenness and the corruption that we know can exist in authority is to look at Christ, the authority who laid his authority down for his subjects. Only then will you be able to say, authority is meant to be good. And only then will you ever be able to say, I can submit to authority. It's the only way is if we're able to look at Christ and see what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you are God and that I am not. As much as I don't live that way, and as much as I live wishing that I was my own final authority, it is better for me that you are in charge. It is better that you have appointed your son to be my authority. And it's better for me that I have parents and authorities here on earth. God, would you give us the humility and the grace to believe that and live that out? God, for those of us who are hearing this and struggling right now, who have had horrible parent relationships, who have been hurt by parents, 
God, I pray that you redeem the view of authority in their life, and I pray that you do it through your son, Jesus, that they're not able to stop thinking about the beautiful authority that Jesus has exercised in our life, and that you're able to redeem all authority relationships as a result. God, keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray this in the name of your son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.